My name is Nigel Fellows Freeman. I am the founder and CEO of Canopy, which is an insurance as a service platform that helps insurers deliver embedded insurance to customers through digital platforms where and when they need it. Thanks for joining us for episode two of Building Tomorrow's Insurer as we explore the exciting developments and trends in the global insurance market. Today, we'll be speaking to Andrew Rear, the ex-CEO of Digital Partners at Munich Re, uh, and current non-executive board member at MedGolf. Uh, they are one of the leading listed insurers in the Gulf region, so super excited to hear a bit more about that. He's got decades of experience uh, leading insurance businesses in the UK, Asia, Africa, and he has a very diverse perspective on the rise of InsureTech and the future insurance. And so we are very, very lucky to have him here today, and we're excited to have the conversation. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for coming. And maybe you can give us a, a brief intro into you and, and kind of how you fit into the insurance industry. Most of us have fallen into it. So I'd love to hear your story. Sure. Thank you for the invite. Um, yes, uh, like you, I fell into the industry, um, you know, first job after university, everybody gets in and nobody leaves. Um, uh, so I've spent my whole career uh, in and around various bits of the insurance industry, um, uh, working for, for insurers, uh, for a consulting firm, uh, for a reinsurer, um, always with a technology or innovation edge, you know, building new products, building new things, building new businesses. Um, I got into InsureTech uh, in a big way um, uh, in 2016, really at the start of the, of the sort of wave um, when I built um, a vehicle called Digital Partners for Munich Re, which was a combination of venture investing and, and InsureTech partnerships. Um, yeah, can you talk to us uh, a little bit about that, Andrew? I'm trying to just double click there a little bit, but that was just really like, if you're looking back, it was really one of the, the first reinsurers that kind of dipped their toe, it was the first kind of really looking back, it was a bit of a breakthrough moment, right? Like you were leading the charge there pretty globally. So I'd love to understand how that came around and kind of what you saw and kind of maybe how it's changed since then. Um, yeah, it was one of those, you know, it was sort of just lucky coincidence. Um, I'd been running Munich Re's life business um, uh, in Asia Pac, uh, UK and Africa, and that had been a turnaround. Um, so uh, I'd been doing that for for five years. We inherited a business um, which was uh, making just about zero, maybe not even quite zero. We left a business that was making about three hundred million euros a year. And 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 by we, I mean the the team I built uh, around me to do that transformation. Um, and you know the thing about transformation is part of it is putting in good leaders and and, and the good succession plan. And having done that. You, you really have to move on because otherwise you're going to be, you know, you're just going to get in the way. Um, so I felt I needed to move on. Um, I had a hankering to get back to, uh, to, to building, get back to something that was closer to technology. Um, and then I, I saw InsureTech sort of coming over the wall. You know, you saw that wave of money going into FinTech. You saw suddenly, you know, like East Coast money going into FinTech. And then you saw West Coast VCs who really, you know, didn't know anything about insurance other than buying their auto insurance once a year, suddenly backing insurtechs. And I thought, this is this is something that I want to be in. Um, and at the same time, Munich Re was going through this sort of existential thing. Munich Re is one of those businesses which really um, uh, aspires to be everything in its industry. Um, for a while, I was responsible for Munich Re's operation in Mongolia. 
Um, they're the biggest reinsurer in Mongolia. But the only <laughs> there you go. Not Mongolia. sure there's too many. Um, no. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but they just, you know, everywhere insurance is done and every part of insurance, Munich Re will be there playing some kind of role somewhere. Yep. So insurance coming along and Munich Re's natural desire is, well, we need to find a way to play. Uh, I said to them, look, the the way you can play is to be a venture investor. That's how you play with small companies. Challenge for Munich Re as a venture investor is, you know, why would a why would a, an insurtech take Munich Re's money rather than Sequoia's money or you know A16Z's money? Um, and so that led us to this sort of so-called insurtech MGA sector. The guys basically trying to build uh, insurance companies without a balance sheet. Um, what those guys need above all is a large patient balance sheet behind them, which is basically what Munich Re is. Mm. So, so really it was, um, it was an idea. I sort of sketched it out onto, you know, like five slides. Um, yep. And then I took it to Torsten Yeverick, who was the, who was the CEO of Munich Re's reinsurance business uh, at the time. Uh, I, you know, I, I knew Torsten very well uh, and he was all, always a technophile and always a sort of forward thinking guy. So I thought, look, I better just try and explore this with him. And there was an internal conference. So I met him in the bar um, yeah. and I sort of showed him my five slides. And I'm like, I said, I've got this idea, Torsten. I'm not really sure where it's going, but I, I, it feels like to me there's some, some legs in this. And he went, um, he said, how much do you believe in this? And, I'm, and I said, well, you know, there's work to do, but, you know, there's no point writing a big business plan because we don't really know what we're doing. We just need to go and explore it. Um, but I think, you know, I think we should do it. And he said, and he said, fantastic. Let's have a board meeting tomorrow morning, and we'll appoint new CEO of the of the, of the unit, and we'll and we'll just start. I run a you know three billion euro revenue business. Told him, yeah, yeah, well, we can find someone to take over that. That business is in great shape. You're fine. Carry on. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in the space in the space of two days, um, uh, I managed to to. Not only not only to kick myself out of a job, but also kick my, my transformation team out of a job, and sort of move us all to a to a you know. Um, I mean, initially we were all working out of my office. Um, you know, in the, in the in the good old ways of Munich, of uh, reinsurance, you had this had had a, a nice sized office, so I sort of moved my whole team into that into that office, and we started there. Sit around one desk, and how do you think? Super interesting, right? Because then that was like 2016. And now we're what kind of seven, eight years, seven years later. Um, and there's obviously been a real like involvement. Obviously, you called out then kind of MGA's balance sheet support. And like, how do you kind of see kind of reinsurers, insurers, and that kind of evolving ecosystem over time? Like, how have you seen it kind of yeah, build and like kind of maybe how do you think it's transformed? And maybe kind of where do you think it kind of sits today from like maybe yeah, that, that change? Yeah, I mean, I think what's what's happened over time. We we were sort of toddlers in 2016, right? Yeah, we were making the stuff up as we went along. Yeah, nobody knew where this was going. There was a, an awful lot of hype. It was really difficult to avoid getting sucked into that uh, into that hype. And and I think where we are now is is the industry has has grown up. Um, yeah. I mean, well, all parts of the ecosystem has grown up. All parts of the ecosystem has grown up. The eventual impact we'll only know in, I mean, thirty years time probably. Insurance is. I think that's time frame. That's the time frame you yeah. kind of think. I mean, of insurance is a very very slow clock speed industry, mm. right? So, um, transformation just takes a it takes an awful long time. But I think what you see now is a 
much more clarity about the ecosystem as to what each what each partner does and is good at and that creates i think space then for people who are really good at one area you know we set out in in munich re and you know well, our first thought was we were we were essentially taking businesses that either had nothing at all they were just you know brand new startups or all um, businesses that had a uh, that were originally broken and turning them into mgas and then you've got a big question okay how are you going to build all of that technology which is really complicated which requires real understanding of uh, of insurance our first version i mean it sounds bizarre now our first version was to build that ourselves and what on earth we thought we were doing trying to build um you know ground up technology i have no idea um and how far did you get did you get did you kind of get a like a, a version one up um uh yes not never never a great one though mm. and and at that point you know then you have the problem that um uh, the partnership side of the business and the and the investing side of the business was wildly successful so that was moving at 100 miles an hour we're getting more and more partners we're getting operationally really strained and the tech you know was always six months behind where we yeah. needed to be and then of course our partners are getting frustrated because they're actually quite good at building tech um, I think if you look at where we are now, um, uh, it seems to me that the tech is either built by um, uh, uh, by the startups themselves, or in many cases is built by sort of you know ecosystem integrators. A lot of the uh, embedded insurance that 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 wave coming, I think, is being driven by by people who can build uh, away, yeah. that explicit partnership in infrastructure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. And you think that, and that you're calling that out in terms of that that evolution. I think you they made a comment really interesting earlier, which is like seeing what happened in payments and 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 like finance, like fintech and and that re- repeating itself. I think kind of I think that's a really like interesting way to think about it because I think they those lessons have been learned right, and we look we can it's a, it's always like a little history book that you can look out of kind of what's look what's kind of turned out there. And I think in that sector specifically, there's a lot more less disruption, less kicking incumbents out and more working with and partnering with and enabling uh, versus trying to kind of remove or disrupt, I suppose. And so kind of how do you, are you seeing that? Are you seeing that starting to happen with incumbents and reinsurers here around partnering kind of to, to realize those digital transformation goals that are maybe taking a long time? Like how are you seeing that um, maybe kind of in any of your roles or kind of relationships you have today? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think if you look at um, uh, if you look at the fintech more broadly, mm. you had what I suspect is sort of still we're still working our way through in insure tech. That um, you had people, um, you know, someone like Transferwise is a great example. Mm-hmm. They picked they picked a single process that that banks did badly. They did yeah. it well, and they did fun, and they and they did very nicely out of that. Um, they then sort of tried to turn themselves into a retail bank and they realized actually retail bank is really quite really difficult. You know? <laughs> and there's a reason that retail banks are not very good at, at things like international payments. It's because they spend all their effort doing retail banking. And um, uh, and then at the same time, you had the retail banks going, oh, we need to build a, 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 a funky... Uh, a, a funky digital bank for our new customers, you know. Let's call, let's, let's call it Timmy.com and, and, and start. And those, I mean... Not all of them, but by and large, they've been a they've been a catastrophe because big companies absolutely just doesn't work. Um, 
I think if you look at insurance, the uh, we're still going through that that learning curve. The um, uh, there are a bunch of insure techs. I think mostly they're now sort of trying to survive. But there's a bunch of insure techs whose idea of finding a niche to play in was to take on Geico or or, or Admiral at, at motor insurance. And you know, I mean, good luck. I'm not saying it's impossible, but you're probably going to lose. Whereas you know, I'm chairman of uh, of uh, Ticker, a UK motor MGA at the moment, and Ticker is very cleanly focused on on the telematics space, where you know telematics was for young drivers only and done badly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ticker looked at that and realised a they could do that better, um, and 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 if they did it well enough. No, the big companies wouldn't really compete with them because it's just too niche. And secondly, you can apply telematics to all sorts of other things, you know, older drivers, um, uh, low mileage drivers, van drivers, uh, drivers with a driving conviction and so on. And actually, there's this whole tale of, of sort of niche things that people can, uh, uh, where you can make money and you don't aspire to be a Viva. You aspire to be really profitable and really good at what you do. Um, I, I think that's where I mean I think that's where payment has got to. I think mm-hmm. that's where insurtech is is heading towards. Heading. Um, and you know I think that's a really interesting interesting position. Like there is no insurer which is really good at uh, at sort of multi multi product white label. You know if you are if you are a big retailer, where would you go? You probably end up going to the big insurers. And they're not very good at doing that kind of stuff. They're not very interested in it. It's not big enough. It's too much of a niche. Um, it, those kind of spaces, I think, are, are, are where InsureTech works. And then everybody sort of understands their place in the chain. Yeah, interesting, like, just to hold it on telematics for a little bit, because I think that's a really interesting space. Like, in Australia, where we are, like, it hasn't yet really kind of um, – Hadn't started to hit its straps yet, but I guess we're kind of, I see some bunch of stuff coming out of Europe and obviously UK, US a little bit. So yeah, just super interested how you're seeing kind of telematics specifically. I know that Italy's doing a bunch, like just interested in, um, yeah, how you're seeing it. How are you, how do you see telematics in Europe and kind of proliferation, how it's being used? Kind of- yeah. Um, I think telematics is that it, it's a bit like, um, the sort of channel question, you know, why hasn't the whole market gone direct? Um, mm. um, Honestly, I think nobody really understands these dynamics because they're they're connected with a bunch of complex societal yep. dynamics. Um, what you uh, what you see in the in the UK, which is the leader in this space, um, is um, uh, aggressive price competition at every at every point. Interesting. Yep. Um, so it's you know it's a um, it's a highly transparent market. It's a very price competitive market. It's a market where the leaders are um, are not only very efficient, but also very good at the sort of technical aspects of pricing. And what happens then is that um, uh, price becomes that the price that the cross subsidies between customers begin to disappear. Mm-hmm. So your motor insurance price really quite fairly represents the risk that that. And at that point, you know, uh, uh, higher risk drivers then then tend to pay much more. Mm. Um, and 
and that creates an opportunity for telematics because eventually telematics, you know, it either reduces risk or it distinguishes between between higher risk and lower high risk, risk, low risk yeah. drivers. You know, and the, the older driver one is is really interesting in the UK because that's recent, right? Only really, I guess, in the last ten years that you start to pay more for your insurance as you get older. And I I don't know every country's rating uh, schema, but I suspect that that is still pretty close to being unique. Yeah. Um, but as soon as that happens, as soon as it's more expensive to insure yourself as a 70-year-old, then you end up at telematics. I mean, almost, uh, yeah, sort of almost by default. Um, so I, I think I think telematics in other countries depends a, a lot on what the sort of competitive structure of the industry, which depends on regulation and channel structure mm. and everything else. Um, mm. So... Um, eventually insurance bizarrely even though even though we all sell the same product everywhere in the world it's still a very local game local game yeah nuanced super nuanced yeah i remember when like we had a previous conversation we had we were see, you were speaking a little bit about kind of brokers and um they uh i guess the the digital mga was trying to get rid of the broker and then some of them a large majority of them then actually started using brokers and kind of using the broker as a channel and so the thing that they were trying to displace or actually then using as a, as a partner to work with. And I think that was a, like an interesting change over time. I'd love to get your thoughts on that around like kind of how you saw that play through. And then, and then I guess the, the broker's position, um, it's a well debated kind of subject, right? The broker's position moving forwards over time, kind of in kind of retail and business commercial markets, kind of really interesting kind of how you're seeing it and how you're seeing it play through. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my conference shtick is um, that when God designed insurance, he was having a bit of an off day. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, that you, you, you essentially have uh, two functions in insurance. You have somebody who looks after the customer, you know, holds the customer's, uh, holds the customer's data, manages the customer's uh, issues when they have a claim and so on. And then you have somebody who does the money. And there really isn't anything else in between. There's no manufacturing in, in yep. insurance. You know, we don't make anything. Um, and if you look at how insurance works, I mean, particularly business insurance, you know, you split those two functions up between a broker, you know, who looks after the customer to an extent, but doesn't, for example, hold the customer's data because that goes to the insurer, which has the regulated entity, which is sort of just a piece of paper, but also some of the capital. And by the way, you might have an MGA between those two. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the rest of the capital gets provided by by a reinsurer, and you have a broker uh, sitting between those two. And the reinsurer very often thinks that they understand customers and product design, so they're sort of trying to design the product all the way back to the, the front. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, it's just uh, higgledy piggledy. Yeah. So, um, uh, what I saw in the insurtech MGAs, um, the start point was that they said, "Look, we are going to be uh, direct insurers." And the fact that they're an MGA um, was was just a balance sheet, yep. again, just about you know cost of capital. Um, you know, one of my one of my favourite businesses um, uh, in the London market at the moment is a business called Dale Underwriting, um, and it's basically a sort of classic London market underwriting business, a real expert underwriter, um, uh, and um, uh, it's. It's a sort of mid-sized London market business, so it's I don't know, let's say three, four hundred million capital, of which none is owned by Duncan Dale, right? 
I mean, he's just the he's just the underwriter. He's the guy who makes the decisions, and the capital sits behind. That seems quite a logical model to me. Mm. Um, so, so the way I saw the insurtech MGAs was, was that they were trying to control the customer, and in, and to control the customer, to own the customer, you uh, you needed to own all of the interactions with the customer. Um, which meant that you wanted to be an MGA because then you didn't have to interact with insurer systems. You could simply interact, you know, you could simply provide the insurer with sufficient data to make them comfortable about how they were using their capital. And so we sat behind and we were the capital. Um, uh, I, I, I think two things happened there. One is that um, uh, one of the mistakes the, the venture community, as the as the non-specialist venture investors got involved, they got obsessed by product because they love product. Love product, and they missed the point that that in insurance, the product is not the piece of paper and the terms and conditions, and it's not the technology on the back. The product is the customer. Distribution is where the money is, and so your interaction with the customer is what important is what's important. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you start going through brokers, um, you've moved yourself back in the chain again. As soon as you start going through brokers, you know, you basically become a traditional MGA. You may as well start, you know, grabbing all the capital. The way I think the model has to has to end up working is um, uh, you have to start with the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at, you know, uh, if you look at the traditional brokers, they're just as, as ripe for disruption as... Uh, as anybody else in the market. Um, perhaps what the Introtech MGAs missed is that it's quite difficult to control a customer unless you provide all of the customer's needs. And if you focus just on providing a really great single product, but your customer buys five different products, then you're never going to own that customer. You're only yeah. ever going to be you know, one leg in. Yeah. And the customer doesn't think about um, uh, uh, the general liability and professional liability and and uh, and workers compensation the cu- customer thinks about insurance so the customer yeah. needs one point of entry for insurance one entry to them. Um, which does lead you back to the um uh the broking part um i'm uh, well about to become chairman of a, a brand new startup uh a, a broker called uh, called hub insurance here in the uk mm-hmm. um focused on mid-sized commercial business. So, you know, 15,000 pound premium type business. Um, and uh, and their stick is to say, look, uh, whatever we do, we have to own the customer. And that means we have to start off as a broker because you have to provide all of the products for them. And, and you have to do everything you can to make that a good experience, given the constraints of having to deal with insurance. One way they do that is they automate all of their own processes. So your average broking process, you know, time to close a sale for a broker is about three hours worth of work, and you're paying someone to do that. Um, they automate that so that um, uh, for them, uh, in the in the sort of leading lines where they where they've got the most technology in, that three hours is now down to about half an hour, um, and they use that to provide a cheaper cost of insurance to the customer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because then they, um, you know, they have high conversion. They get more data. That 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 all helps. But because principally, because that is um, uh, that's the way in which the customer can feel that they're getting a better service from Hub than anybody else. Got it. And then, so they so that helps them gather customers. And then in the back of that, 
they are then building MGAs product by product. So their idea is that if you come in, you know, if you're a um, uh, you're a, a, a local construction business, you've got a bunch of different insurance you need to buy. Some of it will be completely on the hub platform and therefore it will be end-to-end -to -end and nice. So, you know, your fleet insurance, which is highly interactive, you know, all the fans they crash a lot, yep. um, uh, will be like that. Whereas uh, some of your construction liability insurance, which is you know, generally buy and forget, and if you're not forgetting it's because it's a big complicated claim, then um, uh, they won't do that through an MGA, but... Um, uh, uh, but because it's low touch, the the fact that you have an insurer involved doesn't damage the customer experience too that much. Um, but but then they own the customer. Um, I I think the insurtech MGA that operates through brokers um, to me is not a model that particularly makes sense. I'm not sure why that's better than being an insurer unless you are unless you're significantly cheaper and offering a significant price advantage, which. It is hard, really. Our industry is pretty competitive. Yeah, margins are tight, aren't they? It's super interesting. Yeah, looking forward to how, see how that turns out. That's, uh, I think, uh, a super deep insight on the broker side. Uh, from, yeah, the coalface. If you were going to um, change gears a little bit, I know um, you're uh, uh, doing a little bit of work in the Middle East, and that's, uh, I think, a part of the world that um, not too many there's a there's different folks no doubt different parts of the world and we called out the the nuances in the industry industry a little bit earlier on and it's kind of interested in yeah how you've seen um insurers there how they have you seen them on their digital transformation journeys um kind of maybe different areas of innovation that you're seeing or a lack of like just yeah really interested in what you're seeing in those markets um yeah uh, there is certainly um there is certainly now a pace of change, I think, in those in those markets. Um, so I'm I'm on the board of a, a, a listed um, golf insurer. Um, uh, honestly, that's one of those what goes around comes around thing. The CEO of that insurer was somebody who ran a very complicated transformation project for me when I was a a, a partner at Oliver Wyman, um, and um, since then he's. Um, he's gone on to become a sort of business turnaround specialist. And now he finds himself trying to turn around this, um, uh, this Middle Eastern insurer. So um, uh, he calls me and says, would you like to join my board? <laughs> you know, I've got a lot of things going on. I'm mostly focused on smaller companies at the moment. And he says, no, 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 I want you to join my board. I think you probably owe me a favor. I said, okay, fair enough. I owe you a favor. I'll join your board. Um, but actually it's really fascinating because um, uh, uh, his vision for the company is um, let's let's see what technology is out there. We don't have to be first in the world. Um, we we've got a we've got a bit of luxury to see see what's worked elsewhere in the world. But equally, uh, when we when we believe a model that something is going to work, we can use the most modern technology to build that. And um, uh, and their and their shtick is, um, uh, if you you know if you if you aspire to be a global leader in 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 your category, then the golf is going to be on your list somewhere. So we are your reference site for the golf, and that you know so that creates pull. 
So, for example, one of the things they're doing is they're building a um, uh, a third-party ad- admin business for for health. But quite they're a substantial health insurer, and if you look at health insurers around the world, what you find is that um, they all use a small number of of very large um, health TPAs. So TPAs, because these TPAs yeah. have have scale and they have good technology behind them and so on. <clears> so you know half the US insurers use you know United Health T- TPA, for example. Um, so having seen that work in other countries, they say, well, that could work with us. Now, yeah. what is the latest technology going to build health TPAs? Um, what problems do we need to solve? Um, so uh, you know, can you know using using machine learning learning to to read and understand hospital bills and and do auto acceptance of claims, for example, and and rather than sort of have to build that into an existing um, uh, sort of infrastructure, they say, okay, let's go and build a health TPA. Let's let's build now what someone like United is trying to transform into because we're mm-hmm. building on a, you know, in a greenfield. You know better than I, Nigel, that you know if you're building if you're building greenfield, it's just so much easier than trying to transform an existing legacy. So actually, right. them yeah, they're moving at 100 miles an hour, um, and uh, and it's fascinating to see um, see regulators going with them. You know, if I think back to my first time I worked in the Middle East, which is you know, probably 20 years ago now. Um, uh, at, at that time, uh, you know, insurance regulators in the Middle East barely understood insurance, um, mm. and, and whereas now, you know, you are dealing with a sophisticated modern regulator who absolutely understands what it is you're doing and and the risks and the you know the regulation aspects of that. Um, so, yeah, again, you're seeing these markets really become become professional more mature and and they, that's interesting isn't it? in terms of business model change as well like going from kind of being like more risk capital insurer like thinking to actually you know like like there's a there's a whole business model within like the tpa and the and the claims management that maybe we can haven't uh haven't done a really good job on or haven't explored and so actually that's a, a business model on its own that can stand alongside kind of the, the the rest of the business so it's interesting that kind of business model transformation as well uh in terms of um yeah, kind of balance sheet and capital and all those things and the, the things you can move away from potentially in terms of revenue share over time. So, yeah, super interesting that those kind of things are and obviously kind of in the, in the large insurers, those things happening. Yeah, and it's one of those things I think that um, a combination of, of a clear head and, uh, and technology uh, help you do that, um, you know, the TPA came about thinking about, you know, what are, what are, what are we good at? Um, uh, what are our uh, what are our problems, um, and you know what uh, if we, if we could have everything we want, given that you know given the skills we've got, what would that business look like? And then you realise actually, uh, technology can allow you to do that. Um, and yeah, I think the the world we're moving towards is uh, I think going to be much more sort of multi specialist businesses understanding that you know what i what i'm really good at is is pricing and and because i'm really good at pricing um that means my business model should have this shape um you know if i can do pricing for somebody else and earn a return based on my pricing as opposed to having to bring a lot of capital to it then i'm going to make more money so uh so you know one business does that another business says well you know uh, what I am is scale. I've got low cost of capital, so for me, it's all about having a balanced portfolio and just being able to apply 
large amounts of capital at scale. Yeah, that to me makes makes the industry much more interesting. Um, I suspect a lot of this will happen after I've retired, but... Um, <laughs> Well, you got a little bit of time left, I think, Andrew. I think you, uh, I think you got, you got a bit, you got a bit of time, but maybe you don't. Maybe you got a bit of time to go. Hopefully, those kind of two startups you're chairman of uh, hit their hit their straps. Um, I feel like we are. Uh, this may be almost the last day of the year that we can have predictions for 2023. I think the 30th of Jan is almost. We're almost there. Almost like kind of us going to be able to say, actually, what, what do we think is going to happen this year? I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here. Is there anything you? Um, I'm um, not predictions as such, but is there anything kind of you kind of anything you're foreseeing for this year that um, maybe kind of, um, yeah, that you, you think is going to happen, maybe some kind of wins for the year and maybe some, uh, some M&As or some fails. Love to see a couple of, hear a couple of things that you think are going to happen in, in 2023. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think in 2023, um, the, uh, the tech VC market is going to, is going to come back. I think money is going to come back in, but in a much more differentiated way. Um, I, th- I, I suspect what we will see is um, a round of failures or failures disguised as exits, um, a lot of insurtechs merging together and so on, mm-hmm. um, because their, uh, their investors who have been supporting them to now will, will start saying, look, there, there are better opportunities outside and better off letting this go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think we are sort of, we're, uh, we're reaching the sort of denouement of what's happened, um, uh, since sort of the end of 2021. Um, I, I do wonder whether some of the insure techs that went public, but shouldn't have done, will get, will get bought out. So I'm beginning to look yeah. cheap now. It might still they be a risky yeah. purchase, but <laughs> it feels like there's a, there's a, uh, uh, public to, to private deal in there. I think we will see is, uh, I, I think a bunch of new money at some going point into, by, going by into really good um, new ideas. I suppose, you know, the other thing that's more, still going on is uh, we still uh, have in the, in the reinsurance market before, uh, and in the um, cap market. And particularly I think into, into business models, so, you know, um, in 2016, really promised customer control um, uh, and, and also uh, business models, uh, you know, whether it was venture capital or uh, or underwriting you know, capital, a market has uh, not been I suspect we're going into a market whole embedded space that uh, venture capital starts getting cheaper again, but underwriting capital remains really, really expensive. So businesses which are uh, uh, efficient at uh, using underwriting capital, businesses that which are you know proving a pricing advantage will uh, will start to come come to the fore. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I super put you on the spot there. Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've, I've taken a bunch of your time today. Um, super interesting. Thank you. There's, uh, um, yeah, the breadth of experience from uh, standing up uh, Munich ReDP through to, um, through to Middle East is, you uh, have got the experience. So thank you. Appreciate the, uh, the your generous time today. Um, really, really interesting. I'm sure that everyone um, listening will have enjoyed it. Um, have a wonderful year. Uh, thanks again for your time and have a wonderful day. Nice to talk to you, Nigel. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks a lot. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. To watch the video version of this episode, head over to our YouTube channel. You'll find that in the link in the description. And if you'd like to hear more from industry leaders who are pushing the boundaries in insurance, 
with a sprinkle of interest, check out our other episodes of our podcast series, Building Tomorrow's Insurers, on any of the general podcast platforms. More content, follow us, LinkedIn, Twitter, anywhere uh, we are around. Links in the description below. Thank you and have a wonderful day.